Kids are dismissed. One day, I'll remember that without help. Fortunately, my wife stood up and pointed to me that the children are dismissed. So, yes. So today, today we begin a new summer series as we look at the five doctrinal distinctives of our church and our church family. These distinctives, they form the foundation of what we believe, and they lead into our mission, our vision, and our four core commitments. So our vision, in case you don't know, but you will know over, after five weeks, at least I hope so, is to make Jesus non-ignorable in La Junta and to the ends of the earth. And then our mission statement is to glorify God by making joyful, passionate disciples of Jesus Christ. Along with our four core commitments, in order to be able to do these things, are to worship God passionately, to connect with one another authentically, to grow to know God deeply, and to go and tell the gospel boldly. So I think this will be a fun series, actually. A lot of times we have done, I think a couple times we have done uh, a series on our four commitments and what our vision and mission is, but we have not, as far as I know, ever done a series on what are the, the five doctrinal distinctives of our church. What is the foundation of what we believe? So as we look at this series, we're going to see that there are five things. And the first thing that we have to understand is, is when you, and you can find all of these, just so you know, if you go to calvarylahunta.org, and you go to About Us and What We Believe, these are all listed. We haven't quite figured out how to get the website up on ProPresenter yet, or I would put it on the screen. I thought of that this morning, and it was too late to try and figure out how to do it, so I apologize for that. But next week, hopefully, we'll have that. But right at the beginning, it says what we believe. Well, we believe that rightly understanding the Word of God, the Bible, is essential to everything that we do. That God has revealed Himself to us through Scripture, and we want to take that seriously. Calvary Church is committed to the tenets of historical, orthodox Christianity. This informs our vision, our mission, our core commitments and practices as a church. You can see our vision and mission statement when you read this. I'm reading this from the website, so I apologize. Below, so this is our five doctrinal distinctives, just so you know. The first one, which we'll talk about today, is that we are passionate about gospel centrality. This is, this is what we're going to look at. The second one is we enthusiastically embrace the sovereignty of God's grace in saving sinners. The third one is we recognize and rest upon the necessity of the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit for all of life in ministry. The fourth one is we are deeply committed to the fundamental spiritual and moral equality of male and female and to men as responsible servant leaders in the home and the church. And the fifth one, our last one is the Calvary Church embraces a missionary understanding of the local church and its role as the primary means by which God chooses to establish his kingdom on earth. And I understand that those all sound a little bit dry when you just read them. But as we study them and we look through them, we're going to find that these actually are a lot of fun to look at. 
And it's good for us to get a basic understanding of why we're here. What do we believe? Why do we teach the way we do? Our first distinctive again today is that we are passionate about gospel centrality. We believe, and this is the distinctive, I'm just going to read it again to you, so apologize for the dryness, but I'm just going to read the distinctive as it's written on our website. We believe the gospel is the good news of what God has graciously accomplished for sinners through the sinless life, sacrificial death, and bodily resurrection of His Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Namely, our forgiveness from sin and complete justification before God. This gospel is also the foundation for our confidence in the ultimate triumph of God's kingdom and the consummation of His purpose for all creation in the new heavens and the new earth. Hence why I had Dennis read that this morning. This gospel is centered in Christ. It is the foundation for life of the church and is our only hope for eternal life. This gospel is not proclaimed if Christ's penal substitutionary death and bodily resurrection are not central to our message. This gospel is not only how people are saved, but also the truth and power by which people are sanctified. It is the truth of the gospel that enables us to do genuinely and joyfully what is pleasing to God and to grow in progressive conformity to the image of Christ. The salvation offered in this gospel message is received by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. No ordinance, ritual, work, or any other activity must be saved on the part of man. And then if you were to look on the website, there's a list of scriptures underneath there that this doctrinal distinctive was based on. And those scriptures, some of them, but not all of them, are what we're going to look at today. So let's bow in prayer as we get ready to study our first doctrinal distinctive of the centrality of the gospel. Heavenly Father, Lord God Almighty, we just come before you, Lord, and we just thank you, God, for the power of your word. Lord, the importance of having um, good doctrine, the importance of having our theology set by your scripture, Lord, and that we teach it rightly and justly. Lord, I pray, God, that you would help us to do just that this morning, that it would be your voice and the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, that would speak through me and into our hearts and our minds, Lord, that we would see who you are and why the gospel must be first and foremost in our minds. Lord, I just pray that we do you justice this morning and that you will be pleased. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So why is it important that this is the first doctrinal distinctive? Why is it so important that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the center of what we believe and do as a church? Because of what Paul says in Romans 1, 16, through 17. If you have your Bibles and you want to turn there, Romans 1, 16 through 17, Paul writes this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. You see, 
It is the center of what we believe and do because it is the power of God to everyone who believes. It contains the righteousness of God from faith to faith. It is the message of hope for everyone, no matter your race, no matter your ethnic background, no matter your economic status, no matter whether you were born in Nebraska or Iowa, or Colorado or Taiwan or Swaziland. No matter who you are, the Gospel is the only message from God that brings salvation for you to be saved. It is the only hope for the lost souls who are separated from Jesus. If we aren't a church, if we aren't a church that is concerned about fulfilling our mission to reach lost people with the Gospel and train them to be disciples of Jesus, to go and train others, then honestly, what are we doing here? What would be the point of gathering together? If there's no hope in Christ, there's no reason to be here. This is why we're here. This is why this is central to who we are. Because this is the message of hope. But, thankfully, we are a church that is concerned about reaching the lost. And this gospel message is the message that we are called to share. Now, since we just spent several months studying through Galatians, we ought to know by now that we cannot be saved by anything but Christ alone. That our works will not save us. And so I am not going to spend a lot of time on that today. I'm sure most of you are very glad. But what I want to share is how the Gospel itself is the brilliant light of our Heavenly Father. His Son Jesus and the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. While writing about the Gospel, Michael Reeves states in his book, Evangelical Pharisees, he says this, The Gospel could remain just one topic among others, a subject to be enjoyed and then moved on from. Instead, in the Gospel, we receive the revelation of the Father, the Son, and the regeneration of the Spirit. Through the Gospel shines the light of the knowledge of the glory of a speaking God, a merciful and gracious God, a God who is love, and who therefore looks more on the heart than the appearance the Gospel brings us to enjoy Him. Praise God for that. This, again, is why the Gospel is center of what we do and what we believe and what we teach as a church. It takes us to the Father through the Son while the Spirit opens our minds to understand who God is as the Lord has revealed Himself to us in His Word. The glory of our holy God is found there. It tells of the throne room of grace and the greatest mind-blowing scene of the Lord on His throne in the new heaven and the new earth. Christ and the Gospel are the hope and shining of His glory. Everything else pales in comparison to it. Because 
It is the brilliant, shining diamond of the glory of our holy God. The transforming nature of the gospel allows us to be made like Jesus and see Jesus as he really is. As God promises us through John in 1 John 3, 2. So then what is the gospel? We use that word a lot. What is this message that we have been given? What is the grand old story that saves God's people from their sins? The passage that the Lord led me to expound upon this morning is John 3, 16-18. It is part of our scripture references and our distinctive you would find on our website. John 3.16, as we all know, is probably the most well-known and most memorized Bible verse that there is. Psalm 23 might be the most popular passage, but John 3.16 is right there. So let's read John 3.16-18 and see what the Lord has for us today. Starting in verse 16 of John chapter 3. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. And whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the, of the only Son of God. God's Word is powerful. In our first verse that we see in John 3.16, the most familiar verse that we see is that God loves His people so much that He gave Jesus. For God so loved the world, it starts out. We love the idea that God loves the world. But what does that really mean? What does it mean that God loves the world? What is the world? Is the world the earth itself? Is it all of the animals and the fish and the birds? What is it? In this case, John is speaking about all of humanity. All of the people that God created in His image. Does this mean that the Lord loves their sin? No, He doesn't. It is the fact that the Lord sees us as His greatest creation lost and wandering about like a sheep without a shepherd, a people without direction, following the deceit of the broken world around us, lost in our disobedience, ignorance, and full of sin. It means He loves us so much that He wants to bring us back into a right relationship with Him. And He did so by sending His only Son, Jesus, to die for us. Jesus is His shining glory. The cross, ugly by itself, becomes beautiful and glorious because Jesus, His only Son, hung on it. Why would God do that? Because He wanted to save us. Here is the one thing that we need to know. Our default destination is not heaven. And then we sin, and then our destination is changed to hell. No, our default destination is hell. We are condemned already. It is the Lord, as the saving God He is, who by sending Jesus 
to die in our place brings us to Him and out of hell. But only, only if we accept His gift of grace and believe and put our faith and trust in Jesus. The word perish in this verse means eternal misery. And this is what Jesus in the Gospel saves us from. Eternal misery. And what does that mean then to believe as we walk through this verse? For the Christian, believing in Jesus means so much more than what the word in English that we take for granted. It's because we can believe in Santa Claus. We can believe that the earth is round or the earth is flat. We can believe in many things, like maybe the Rockies will win the World Series this year. But just because we believe those things don't mean they're going to happen. The Rockies are not going to win the World Series this year. They're not even going to win the World Series in five years. But believing in Jesus is so much more. Let me illustrate it this way. Yesterday, Sherry and I were re- reminiscing, that's the word I'm looking for, I have it written right here, reminiscing about the timeline of our relationship over the last 37 years we've been together. Our first date was June 14, 1986. We both remember it perfectly. And as we were remembering our moments over time, I told Sherry, I remember when I believed she was the right woman for me, and I wanted to marry her, and have her with me for the rest of my life. Her parents had a cabin up in Dillon, and we were there together. And I remember looking at her and and seeing her face, and she had really beautiful, long brown hair, and it just enveloped her face beautifully like an angel, and I'm not joking. Maybe I'm biased. (laughs) But I remember looking at her that day, and I go, I want this woman to be my wife. I want to live with her for the rest of my life. And I gave my heart to her that day. Now, she didn't know that yet. I'm not sure I even really understood it all. But I believed that she was the right one, and I gave myself fully to her. And in that moment, even though we weren't married yet, and we're just talking about a totally platonic situation here, we became one flesh. I gave myself fully and completely to her. I devoted the rest of my life to her. And I have to tell you, 37 years later, I do not regret that one iota. And as wonderful as that is, it is very similar to how a person comes to faith in Jesus Christ. We come to the end of ourselves and realize that we don't want to be alone. We have tried and tried and tried to live this life on earth by living to be a good person, trying to survive the world, trying to survive all the moments and suffering that we face. And we realize that we can't do it alone. We need a Savior. We need to stop following our sins. And the Lord uses those moments to draw us to Him. To see that our only hope is in His grace and not in ourselves. And we turn from our wickedness in repentance, and we look at Jesus and we marvel at how wonderful He looks and is, and we see Him 
maybe for the very first time, as the one we need to give our life to, the one we need to dedicate ourselves to. And we tell Him that we believe in Him, and we devote ourselves to Him, and we turn our life over to Him, and we become knit together with Him. Because He gives us the faith to believe in Him and the power of the Holy Spirit to come to Him. And we become one flesh with Him. This is what it means to be a Christian. To give your life fully over to Jesus. To not hold anything back from Him. But to give Him everything. And as we step back and we see His grandeur and His glory and His grace and we experience His love, and the Lord places His Holy Spirit inside of us, and His promise to us is that we will, He will never leave us nor forsake us. That no one can snatch us out of His hand. You belong to Him for eternity. United with Him by the Spirit, by the will of the Father. Jesus, who now sits at the right hand of His Father is our advocate, our intercessor in prayer. He stands up for us. He cheers us on and encourages us to not quit when life gets difficult. To endure to the end. And all of this to glorify His Father. But as we know, none of this is done by us. All of this is done by Him. Faith is a gift from God, and without it, we cannot believe in Jesus. Our salvation was won by Jesus' death and resurrection, and our helper to live our lives is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who counsels us, He teaches us, He comforts us, and He opens our minds to the Scriptures to understand the will of God. Hebrews 1.3 tells us that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of His Father's nature, and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. He upholds the universe by just the words of, by the power of His words. And He is the exact image of His Father. He and His Father are one, He said. If you see Me, you've seen the Father. Again, this is why the Gospel is the center of what we do. This good news, this is what we take out into a lost and broken world that so desperately needs to hear it. It must be who we are as a church. It must be who we are as a people. The world needs this message. And God has given it to us to share with other people. So what was God's purpose for sending Jesus to us? We see that in verse 17. He makes that very clear. Because God sent Jesus to save us, not to condemn us. Let's read verse 17 again. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. And when we look at verse 17 with verse 16, we find that it's perfectly logical and it makes complete sense if you understand the Bible. 
Because God didn't sin. The Father did not send His Son into the world to condemn it. Because mankind has already been condemned since the fall. He didn't need to do any more condemning. We were already lost. But it even goes deeper than that. Deeper than that. Because the word condemn here means to inflict a penalty on someone. To decree judgment. To read out his verdict. Guilty on all charges. Certainly the Lord could have done that. And he would have been right to do so. Because we are sinners. We are the sons of disobedience before we come to Christ. We deserve punishment and condemnation. But that's not what He did. Instead, He sent Jesus to render our sentence on Himself. Our sentence would have been imprisonment in hell with no opportunity for parole, no chance for appeal. This is what we deserve. But instead, the Father sent Jesus to bear His wrath, our punishment, and our sentence on Him. This is what is called Jesus' penal substitutionary death. Simply put, it means that He was substituted in place of us to take our punishment upon Himself. What's known as the Great Exchange. Jesus willingly went to the cross. Even though He could have called legions of angels to save Him, even though He Himself could have crawled down from the cross, He stayed. And because He stayed, because He was obedient to His Father's will, the cross was not a defeat, but a victory. And by looking at it, we see Jesus in His glory. John tells us that Jesus did this to save mankind. And this is the Gospel that Paul shared with such fervency in his missionary travels. It is this Gospel message that was the center of everything he said and did. Listen to what he says here in 1 Corinthians 15, 1-5. This is Paul. Now I remind you, brothers, of the Gospel that I preached to you, which you received in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believe in vain, for I delivered to you as first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, and He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, who is Peter, and then to the twelve. And because of this, then Paul says this in the same chapter in verses 56 and 57. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Our sins bring the sting of death, but for those of us who believe fully in the work of Jesus on the cross and the power of His resurrection, there is complete Victory. In verse 54, Paul says, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The answer, of course, is there is no sting of spiritual death for the person who is a believer in Jesus, 
who trust in Christ alone for their salvation. And in verse 18, John lays out that there's only two options for a person. They either believe in Jesus or they don't. There is no middle ground. You cannot ride the fence for your salvation. Bill Oldemol, in a, a pastor that Sherry and I had at a church, he said this, you're either all the way in the boat or you're out of the boat. But you can't be halfway in and halfway out because eventually that boat's going to leave the dock and if you got one foot, you're still going to fall. So you're either in or you're out. So which are you? Are you in or are you out? Are you in all the way? Because I'm telling you, the boat is leaving the dock and you do not want to be left behind. Our God is a saving God. And this is the good news and the reason we joyfully worship together as a church. Listen to verse 18. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Just to remind ourselves of what I said earlier, and you've probably heard this before, that we are already condemned by our sinful nature that we have received from Adam. We cannot work our way out of it. Our only way out is believing and trusting in Jesus. And John makes that clear when he says, whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. There isn't room for a third way. You either believe and are saved or you don't. And you are condemned to eternal separation from God in hell. One of my favorite pastors and preachers is Steve, is Steve Lawson. He is a guy that when you listen to him, he doesn't pull any punches. He doesn't, he doesn't dance around anything. And I like that about him. I need that. And this is what he says about the greatest need for people. He says, our greatest need is to see our supreme need for God and for the gospel of grace. Our supreme need is for God is so that He can save us from ourselves. God is merciful and full of grace. And grace is the salvation, the gift of salvation that we don't deserve. But He willingly gives an abundance to everyone who will believe in His Son. Paul wrote this in Romans 10.9, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Do you see what Paul did here? Our head leads our heart. With our mouths, we confess that Jesus is Lord because we know that is true. And then in our hearts, we believe that Jesus is raised from the dead in the power of His resurrection. He said, by doing this, you will be saved. And this is open to everyone who will do this and put their faith and trust in Christ. But we know the hard part is, is not everyone will. Maybe not everyone here has. 
But where do you stand today? Have you confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord? Do you believe in your heart that Jesus was resurrected from the dead? This is the centrality of the Gospel. This is why we are so passionate about it. This is why we gather together in local churches around the world to worship our God, our Father, our Savior, and our Lord. Jesus and the Holy Spirit who lives in us and gives us the strength to keep going even when life is so hard to take that next step in our suffering. The what is that next step? The next step is our sanctification and discipleship. This is what allows us to finish well and stick to it to the end. It is learning to live our new Christian life in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit who is there, as I said earlier, to teach us, to comfort us, to strengthen us, to counsel us, and to push us forward when it gets tough. And it will get tough. It will get tough. Those of who have heard that Jesus came and made life easy, this is wrong. That is the wrong gospel. Life is hard. And as a Christian, it can get really, really hard. I've heard some people tell me, it's like, well, I thought everything was going to be taken care of now that I'm a Christian. I thought all my problems would go away. And now I have more problems. Well, welcome to being a Christian. It gets hard. It's hard on this earth. Yesterday at our men's breakfast, I, I showed a movie clip from the movie Facing the Giants. If you've seen that movie, it's a football movie. And now that Matt's not here, you're going to get a lot of sports analogies from me and illustrations because I've been storing them up for four years for you. Uh, anyway, this, in this clip, one of the leaders of a high school football team whose name is Brock is challenged by his coach to do something called the death crawl. And the death crawl is to get on your hands and knees, and I'm not going to do that because it's really ugly. You'll just have to use your imagination. But you're on your hands and knees in your full football gear, including your helmet, with another person on top of you. And you're to crawl on your hands and, and your hands and your toes, with your knees lifted off the ground until you cannot go any further. And the coach had Brock wear a blindfold. He challenged him to give his best, no matter how far or how tired he got. And he started on the goal line, if you're familiar with football, the field is 100 yards long, and there's two goal lines, and he started on one end. He kept wanting to quit as he began, and it became harder and harder on him, as you can imagine, having another person on his back in full football gear, on his hands and his toes, crawling forward on the grass. The burn in his arms and the burn in his legs. He was saying, I don't think I can go any further. But his coach kept encouraging him not to quit, to keep going, to give his all and work through the pain and the suffering that he was enduring. It was quite a moving scene. Brock's goal was to get halfway to the 50-yard line. The coach kept encouraging him. He had the blindfold on because the coach didn't want him to see where he was at. He said, kept telling him, he goes, you have 20 steps left and then 10 steps. 
all the time encouraging him to keep going and not quit, even though the pain was becoming too much to bear. Finally, he told Brock that he had one step left. And when Brock took that last step, he collapsed. He told the coach, well, this had to be the 50. He goes, I don't have anything left in me. I can't do anymore. His coach told him to take off his blindfold. Brock had collapsed in the opposite end zone. He had gone the full football field, not just halfway. And so it is with us. Jesus Christ is our advocate. He is encouraging us with every step we take in life. When it gets so difficult and we want to quit, when cancer comes, when an unexpected death of one of our kids comes. I had a friend that I have known for a very, very long time. This week he reached out to me and he told me that his son had died unexpectedly in a car accident. I have known this man for a long time and I watched his son grow up. I had him in Awana and I had him in Sunday school for many years. He was only 40 years old. We do not know when death will come. We do not know what kind of suffering will come. But life is difficult and Jesus promises us suffering in our lives. And that suffering is what builds character in us. It builds endurance and it brings us hope. We get sick. We get in car accidents. We lose a parent. We get addicted to something. We are the victim of a crime. We have a cheating or an abusive spouse. And then we face divorce. We lose a job. We get evicted. Terrible things happen because we live in a fallen world. But Jesus is there to encourage us and to not quit. To not give up. And it is the power of the Holy Spirit in us that gives us the power and the strength to endure all things. Paul writes in Philippians 4.13, he says, I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Well, what this verse is really saying is that we can endure all things through Christ who strengthens us. Jesus can get us through everything that we go through if we truly put our faith and trust in Him. We know as a church right now we're going through a transition. Change is difficult. It's hard. But the church does not quit. We keep going forward because the church is not based on a person. It's based on Christ and God alone. It is His bride. And it will continue. And it will take that Gospel message out into La Junta and share it with people who need to hear it. It's not based on us as individuals. It's based on us collectively together, united in purpose and in spirit and message. And that message is Christ is our Savior. And we will share that with people. It is God's call on our lives. I don't care who stands here. That person, that man, needs to be all about the Gospel. And he needs to share that with you that the Gospel is the message that we will share with those that are outside those doors when we leave. 
we will endure. Because the victory is already won. Do we put our hope in men or do we hope, put our hope in the God-man, Jesus Christ, and the power of His resurrection? As we close today, I want to read this passage from Paul from Romans 8, 31-39. One of my favorite passages in Scripture. Starting in verse 31, he says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all? How will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword as is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Because it is not based on us. It is based on the power and the truth and the centrality of His Gospel. The Gospel is the center that everything revolves around. One day I hope to see all of you in His glory. The glory of heaven to see Jesus tell all of us, look, you're in the end zone. You made it. Welcome home. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You endured to the end. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God Almighty, I just come before You, Lord, and, and I come before You with a humble heart. I come before You knowing that You are our God and You are our Savior. And everything is based on Your Gospel message, the good news, Lord, that You died for us, that You took the punishment that we deserved upon Yourself, that nothing is based on us, but it is only based on You. Father, thank You for loving us so much that You sent Your Son that so whoever would believe in Him, Lord, would not perish, but have eternal life with You in heaven, in the new heaven, in the new earth. Where there'll be no more tears. There'll be no more pain or suffering. There will only be glorious worship of our God and King. 
I pray, God, that if someone is here today this morning who does not know you as Lord and Savior, who has not spoken that you are Lord with their mouth and believed in their heart that you have been raised from the dead, I pray, God, that today would be the day of salvation for them. That they would not wait. That they would give their life to you. Fully and completely devoted to you. Because you are their only hope. You are our only hope. And I pray, God, that when we leave here this morning, that we would remember that this message is the message that the world needs. And you have given us a mandate to go and share it with others. And we should not be ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of you from faith to faith. Lord, I pray that as we close this service this morning, that we would remember who you are that we are here for you and not for ourselves. Thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.